Chapter 17 of The Goddess of Atvatabar by William Richard Bradshaw. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nigel Fisher. Naphisthasia. The day following our arrival in Kalnagur, His Majesty the King had projected for us a journey to the Palace of Art at Naphisthasia, which stood on the slope of a mountain in a rich valley lying 100 miles southwest of Kalnagur. The palace itself was surrounded by high walls of massive porcelain, beautifully adorned with sculpture mouldings, and midway on each side massive gateways, each formed of rounded cones, rising to a height and covered with sculptured forms, between which the porcelain wall was pierced with fretted arabesque, running high above the arch opening beneath. Once within the gorgeous gateway, the porcelain walls of Naphisthasia stood before the enraptured eyes, more than a mile in length and half a mile in depth, a many-coloured dream of imposing magnificence, covered with the work of sculptors. The principal part of the wall was a greenish-white vitrification, finely diversified by horizontal friezes, with arabesques in red and green, purple and yellow, lavender, sea-green, blue and silver, and pale rose and deep grey, all separated by wide bands of greenish-white stone. In the centre of the building stood a semicircle of massive conical towers, gleaming like enormous jewels and connected by sculptured walls. The four corners of the palace were also groups of towers, all the various groups being connected with the rectangular walls that were decorated with arcades and balconies. Here in this splendid abode were poets and painters, musicians, sculptors and architects, Dancers, weavers of fabrics, ceramicists, jewellers, engravers, enamelers, artists in lacquer, carvers, designers and workers in glass and metal, pearl and ivory and the precious stones. In an immense chamber of the palace a fete was being held. On either side a double range of massive porcelain pillars supported the roof, which covered this grand sanctuary of art like an immense vitrified jewel. The floor of the court was formed of polished wood of a deep rose colour, that emitted a heavy perfume. Wood of a brilliant green, with interlacing arabesques of red, formed the border of the floor. At the further end of the court stood three thrones, being composed respectively of Terellium, Aquellium and Plutellium, the three most precious metals. On the threefold throne sat Yermul, Lord of Art, His Majesty the King, and myself. In ample recesses amid the pillars stood the devotees of art, while the centre of the court was filled with musicians. A procession of priests and priestesses passed down the living aisles, clad in the most gorgeous fabrics of silk spun by gigantic spiders, and they bore singly trophies of art or moved in groups supporting golden litters carrying piled-up treasures of dazzling splendour. First came a band of priestesses bearing fan-like ensigns of carved wood and fretwork, and panels filled with silks, rare brocades and embroideries. Then came priests bearing heavy vases and urns of gold, terellium, aquellium, plutellium, silver and alloys of precious bronze. Then followed others bearing litters piled with vases and figures carved from solid pearl or fashioned in precious metals. Cups, plates, vases in endless shapes, designs and colours went past, piled high on golden litters, looking like gardens of tropic flowers. Rare laces made of threads spun from the precious metals of Atvatabar, mosaics, ivories, art forgings, costly enamels, decorative bas-reliefs, implements of war, agriculture and commerce, magnic spears and daggers, with shaft and handle encrusted with grotesque carvings in metallic alloys. 
These alloys took the forms of figures, animals, and emblems, having the strangest colorings, like the hilts and scabbards of Japanese swords, carved in Chakudo and Shibichi. There were exhibited vases of cinnabar, vases wondrously carved from tea rose, coral red, pearl grey, ashes of roses, mustard yellow, apple green, pistache, and crushed strawberry-coloured metals. There were also splendid crowns, flowers, animals, birds, and fishes, carved from precious cragon, an imperial stone harder than the diamond, and of a pale rose-pink colour. Every object was as perfect as though modelled in wax. Through all of this decorative movement, there was something more than decoration understood as mere ornamentation. There was the keenest evidence of soul movement on the part of the artist. The music gloriously celebrated the passions of love, ambition and triumph that had filled the souls of the artists when engaged in their incomparable labours, and peeled forth that serene life of the spirits as symbolised in the perfect works of art exhibited, wherein were sealed in eternal magnificence fragments of the souls that had created them. Between the pauses of the music, an organ megaphone shouted forth in musically stentorian tones the words that had been impressed on its cylinders in praise of art. The five thousand priests and priestesses of art had simultaneously shouted their art ritual down five thousand tubes, which were all focused into a single tube of large calibre. The multitudinous sound of their voices had been indelibly impressed on this phonograph megaphone that now yielded up the sentiments impressed upon it its tones being that of a vast multitude reinforced by the vibrating music of an organ which was part of the megaphone these were the passages repeated by the instrument with a startling splendour of sound the messages of the megaphone one to define art is to define life two art is a language that describes the souls of things three art in nature is the expression of life in art is life itself Four, art is too subtle a quality to be defined by the formula of the critic. It is greater than all of the definitions that have tried to grasp it. Five, art is the glowing focus from which radiate thought, imagine and feeling, gifted with the power of utterance. Six, true art is generous, passionate, earnest, vivid, enthusiastic. So also is the true artist. Seven, to satisfy the far-reaching longing of the spirit, art makes things more glorious than they are. It is the perfect expression of a perfect environment. 8. To mould his symbols with the same life that fills his conception of the idea is the supreme effort of the artist. 9. As nature from the coarse soil produces flowers, so also the artist from everyday life produces the subtle sweets of art. 10. Art that is simply utility is not sufficiently decorative to delight every nerve of feeling in the soul. To feed these, many flavours of form and colour are necessary, and hence the necessity of art. 11. Where do emotion and imagination begin in art? Where do spirit and flesh unite in creating a living creature? 12. The artist is a creator. He breathes into dull matter the breath of art, and it thenceforth contains a living soul. 13. Poetry and art make life splendid without science, which is the cold investigation of that which was once thrilled with the passion of life. Invention makes life splendid without poetry and art. By whom will the glorious union of art and science be consummated? 14. What is the world we live in? It is for the most part a collection of souls, hidebound with treachery and selfishness, 
her souls covered with a slag from which we have departed the fires of love and passion and delight such incinerated aliases of their former selves are your judges o artists fifteen art is a green oasis in an arid and mechanical civilization it creates an earthly home for the soul for those wounded by the riot of trade the weariness of labour the fierce struggle for gold and the deadly environment of rushing travel blasted pavements and the withering disappointments of life sixteen where is that artist that can sway imagination create emotion lift the banner of a high ideal give the soul a keener appreciation of beauty add to the mind strength and grace cause the brain to develop new nerves of feeling and newer cells of thought that we may salute him as a genius seventeen art is the emotion within made splendid by imagination that clothes everything with perfection like colour it dwells only in the soul but the cause of the sensation is without in all art the artist seeks to reproduce the cause of his ecstasy that he may communicate to others a similar delight he is like a god he always gives but never receives for fame not money is his recompense eighteen given a soul that can feel sublimely that can respond to beauty and feel thrilled with the joy of existence that can feel the burden of anguish that can appreciate the humours and absurdities of life and given the power to adequately represent the knowledge truth understanding and conviction of these impressions in fitting symbols vitalised by imagination and emotion then have we both poet and artist nineteen the soul in such inspired moments takes the form of sculptured arabesques or flowers or resembles the refluent sea full of incredible shapes and symbols it accompanies the march of thought the profusive swell of emotion is capable of pain and ecstasy and seeks to be fed with those delightful symbols of life which we call art the most priceless of earthly possessions twenty four things are necessary for art viz idea sentiment imagination and manipulative skill after these comes prestige or the applause of the world to crown the work twenty one the art decorator is a type of all art workmen see him about to manipulate a plastic ornament on the wall the plaster resembles his idea its plastic qualities his sentiment or emotion the style of ornament into which it is to be moulded resembles his imagination and the power of the artist to successfully and triumphantly embody in the finished ornament the living breathing idea that fills him is his manipulative skill any work of art if perfect in itself still remains unfinished until the world comes along and applauds twenty two the age wants the artist it wants imagination originality inspiration ideality it requires fertile dreaming souls to create ideal breadth it requires an earthly nirvana wherein one may escape a selfish barbarous pitiless world there is a great dearth of the coinage of the soul we want artists to explain the souls of things not their mechanical construction but the unseen secret of their purposes their unspeakable existence we want heart-expanding triumphs to counteract the withering influences of life. If a soul is entranced with man or nature, we also want to feel his fascination, to be penetrated with his rapture. The megaphone ceased its musical vociferation, which formed a spiritual exercise for the souls assembled before us. I felt entranced and lifted up to a plane of splendid life hitherto unknown in my experience. I began to understand that art, after all, is the one thing in our terrestrial life worth striving for, in fact our only possession, for is it not the transmission of the soul to outer matter, whose savagery may thus be charmed and subdued to become a satisfactory spiritual environment? 
Following the procession of artists came beautiful, wondrously arrayed dancers, whose evolutions made the brain dizzy with delight. Fair priests and priestesses of art formed upon the floor of the palace decorative arabesques of scrolls and interlacements of living bodies, the colour of their garments mingling in perfectly harmonious hues, beautiful beyond comparison. Their ceaseless evolutions were made to the measure of perfect music. Panels and bands of living decorations were framed and transformed like the magical changes of the kaleidoscope. At last, Yermul, the Lord of Art, waved his wand, and the dancers stood transfixed, a garden of ecstatic colour like a Persian carpet, wonderfully designed and vividly emblazoned. It was a scene of royal magnificence. These priests and priestesses were the art workers of Nephisthasia, who had so finely exhibited their treasures. Following the rhythmic movements of the art workers came poets, painters, sculptors, whose works lifted the soul to higher planes of being. These, in their trophies of art, recited or exhibited, gave the soul imagination and sentiment, lifting it almost to the enraptured height of worship, adoration and love. At the close of the ceremonies, we were entertained by Yamul, Lord of Art, at a banquet, at which music and song and the dancing of voluptuous priestesses made hearts thrill with delight. Bidding farewell at last to the Lord of Art and his priests and priestesses, His Majesty, myself and our company returned to the sacred locomotive of Kalnagur. End of chapter 17